All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Westside Foursquare Church. Uh, this is the Sunday after the election. Oh, my goodness, what momentous times we live in. God is moving. Jesus is on his throne, and nothing is going to knock him off of it. God is busy. The prayers of his people have been going up in a way that I have never seen uh, about current events, uh, about this specific election. And I don't believe that God will ignore the prayers of his people. Do you agree with that? God hears the prayers of his people. And I want to encourage us, if you've been praying about a specific outcome to the election, stop it. Because there may be people who are praying opposite of you. And God moves where there is unity. What I want to encourage the church right now to pray, and this is not only what I felt in my spirit, but I've heard this from numerous different voices in the body of Christ, and the way that prophecy works in the New Testament, God does not speak to any one individual prophet. He speaks to his body, and what I am hearing coming up from his body is a call to pray this, that corruption and wickedness would be exposed. And that deception, the blinders that are allowing people to be deceived, would be ripped away. So I want to encourage everyone in our little church and encourage everyone on the internet, be praying that corruption would be exposed wherever it is. Not just in any particular political party, not in any particular corporation, but in every place in our society, in politics, in uh, government, in business, in churches, that corruption would be exposed, wickedness would be exposed, and that the blinders that are causing people to be deceived would be ripped away, that people would see truth. And so let's pray that right now, and then I have a very specific word that God has given for our church, but I think that it goes beyond just our church. I think it's for the church in general. But let's pray first. God, we come before you, and God, you have promised that all the things that would be hidden in the darkness would be brought out into the light and exposed. God, we do not come and, and section off where we want this to happen. God, we ask that in America, in corporate America, in American government, in the government of states, God, in churches, in organizations, but God, also in individuals, would you tear aside the veils God, remove the masks that have allowed people to um, deceive. God, remove masks that have allowed people to seem like they're good and honest, but they are not. And God, remove the veil and the smoke of deception which has allowed people to be deceived. God, let truth be seen and known in a way that will bring glory to you, but will also draw people out of the darkness and into the light. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, will you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10? Turn or click, doesn't matter to me. Uh, I absolutely use digital Bibles all the time. I don't think there's something more holy about using a paper Bible. There are times that I do use a paper Bible, but uh, I don't think there's something more holy about that. I believe that the Word of God is powerful when we put it into our hearts and minds. Okay, The Word of God, this book right here, does not have magic power in this book. In the pages or the paper of this book, there's not magical power. Okay, It's when we take the Word of God and we put it in our hearts and our minds and the Holy Spirit begins to empower it by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus, that's when the Word has power. But I do believe that we should turn to the passages that we're talking about because I want you to make sure that what I'm saying is actually in the book. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10 
starting in verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. You know, the weapons of our warfare as followers of Jesus are more mighty than any lightsaber that any Jedi could ever carry. The weapons of our warfare are divine. They are more mighty than either the first or the second Death Star. They are more mighty than any guns or weapons that you could ever play with on a video game. The weapons of our warfare are divine. They have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now, what are those strongholds? Verse 5 tells us, what do we destroy? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, if you've ever heard me teach before, you know that my primary thrust in my teaching, the most important thing I say, is that God wants to change the way we think. Over and over and over again in Scripture, it talks about the way we think. Even in the Old Testament, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Scripture, and we're going to talk about a couple of these, Scripture is constantly talking about the way we think. Do you know why? Because everything comes out of our hearts and our minds. And that is why our warfare as followers of Jesus is to destroy arguments and lofty opinions that raise themselves against the knowledge of God and to take every thought captive. So our weapons of warfare and our warfare is against ideas and really, here's, here's the main thing, guys. We are assaulted by ideas all day long. In any TV show you watch, in any video game you play, in any uh, newscast that you watch, in any magazine that you read or book that you read, there are going to be ideas that come against you, ideas that are contrary to the knowledge of God that come against you and want to undermine in our minds and in our hearts the knowledge of God. And this scripture tells us that it is our responsibility to take captive every thought and make it subservient to Christ. So our warfare is against these opinions and these arguments that raise themselves against the knowledge of God. And listen, it has never been more clear than in this presidential race that what we are looking at in our culture is a battle of ideas. It is a battle of ideologies. And one of the great lies in our culture right now is the idea that you are not responsible for your poor choices. This is an evil imagination that has raised itself up against the knowledge of God. That you are not responsible for your poor choices, that the poor choices of human beings are rooted in inequity in our society. And this is a lie. This is an imagination that raises itself against the knowledge of God. Because Scripture tells us that sin comes from the heart. We talked about that last week, and you can pull up my sermon from last week if you missed it. Sin comes from inside of you and inside of me. Evil comes from inside of you and inside of me. It is evil thoughts. It is... Uh, ideas inside of us that are contrary to the knowledge of God, and it produces evil behavior. It produces poor behavior. 
But this idea that's in our society that um, I'm not responsible for my choices, if I make poor choices, it's just because society hasn't been fair to me, is very, very attractive. You know why? Because it tells you that the bad things you do aren't your fault. This is not a new idea. Turn with me over to Genesis chapter 3. Turn or click. Genesis chapter 3. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, it tells us that Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. God said, don't eat of this tree. And we can go into a whole theological background of why God set that up. But now's not the time. But God said, don't eat of this tree. And really, the bottom line is that the reason God set up a choice like that is because he is good and because he loves us. And because he wants us to love him in return by choice, not by force. But Adam and Eve chose to disobey what God had told them to do. And starting in verse 8, it says, And they, meaning Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said, Where are you? You know, God didn't call that out because he didn't know. He called that out because he wanted Adam and Eve to realize where they were, that they were separated from God. Verse 10, and he said, he, meaning Adam, said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, here we go. The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Wow. Immediately, Adam tries to shift the blame for his poor choice. And do you see who he blames there? Who is Adam blaming there? He's blaming God. He's not blaming Eve. He didn't say, well, this, the woman gave me the fruit and I ate. No. He says, the woman that you gave to be with me gave me the fruit and I ate. Adam blames God. You know what he's doing there, though? In reality, because he's bringing Eve into it, he's blaming the culture for his poor choice. He's saying, God, you set up a society here You gave the woman to be with me. She gave me the fruit. It's her fault. It's your fault. It's culture's fault. And that is the lie. That's the lie that's being pushed right now in our culture, that poor choices, selfishness, evil, sin is what the Bible calls it, is a result of an unfair culture. Adam said, it's not fair. It's not fair. You gave this woman to be with me. She gave me the fruit. That's why I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you've done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Even she is blaming the situation, the environment that she's in. Human beings are always trying to blame their poor choices on someone or something else. So this socialist progressive idea that, well, poor choices are the fault of society, do you want to know why a whole section of our society is not blaming all the rioters and looters that have been tearing apart our cities? Because in their mind, they have embraced this philosophy that, well, they're just the poor, they're the oppressed, they're the ones that society hasn't treated fairly, so we can't blame them for destroying the property of innocent people. To them, it makes sense. 
But that is a lie that raises itself up against the knowledge of God because Scripture tells us that sin and evil come from inside of each of us. And it tells us that we are responsible for our actions regardless of what's happening around us. It doesn't matter how unfair my life is, I am still responsible to God for the choices that I make. This idea has actually seeped into the church. It has seeped into the teaching of the American church. And there are what are labeled progressive Christians, and the only thing they teach, the gospel, the good news that they teach is, God is love. Jesus accepts you exactly the way you are. Christianity is all about God's great love. And whoever you feel that you are and however you feel that you ought to behave, it's okay because God is love. Now listen, it is true that God is love. It is true that God will accept you, Jesus will accept you into relationship the way you are. But that's not the end. That's not all there is. And please listen to me because this is what our church is going to teach and live. Katie? With the rule of the square. All squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares. Right. All squares are rectangles. Right. God, uh, square, all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares is what she said. God is love, but not all that we call love is actually God. So the, the actual gospel tells us a different story. Remember, our warfare is to come against imaginations and opinions that lift themselves against the knowledge of God. And we need to be, the Bible tells us that we are not ignorant of the devil's schemes. We need to be armored. We need to take every thought captive to Christ. So when you read a book or you watch a TV show or you listen to a newscast or listen to a politician that begins to speak these lies and this deception, we have to be aware of it. We have to be armored with the, with the word of God and we have to take that thought captive and we have to say, mm, no, that's not true. They are guilty of their sin because they chose it. They are guilty of their sin because God holds them accountable for their sin. God does not hold societies accountable for the sin of individuals. What does the Bible teach? Let's look at what the Bible teach. Remember, remember that the weapons of our warfare are powerful with divine power. And Paul also says that the word of God is like a sword. So let's take some thoughts captive this morning. What did Jesus teach? The Gospels tell us that Jesus grew up to about 30 years old, and before he started his ministry, two things happened. He went to John the Baptist at the Jordan, and John baptized him. And at that baptism, the power of the Holy Spirit came and rested on Jesus. And then immediately, the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days. Okay, And then the Gospel of Matthew tells us that immediately after he returned from temptation that John the Baptist was arrested by Herod because John the Baptist was a pot stirrer and he told a politician, what you're doing is not right. He said, you took your brother's wife, it's not right. Can I tell you it's time for the church, and maybe some pastors to rise up and tell some politicians what you're doing is not right. Maybe it's time for us to have a little bit more John the Baptist in our preaching. Need more <laughs> maybe. 
maybe eat a little less luxurious food and eat a little more locusts? Maybe to stand up and point out where politicians and where government officials are wrong and to tell them to repent? You know, we want Jesus to come into our society, right? Do we want revival? Do we want God to move in our society? Well, John said that he was preparing the way of the Lord. Maybe it's time for us to rise up a little more and call out those who are in leadership. Well, obviously we pray for them. That's also scriptural, to pray for those who are in leadership. But maybe we need to add a little more action to our prayers. The politicians are a reflection of the people that voted them there. But maybe we need to add a little more action to our prayers. So the book of Matthew tells us that Jesus heard that John had been arrested. And this is what he said. Listen closely, y'all. From that time, Jesus began to preach. What is Jesus preaching? Saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you know what's missing from progressive Christianity? The very first point of Jesus' sermon. Repent. Change. The kingdom of heaven is here, so change. And that word repent in the New Testament literally means to change your mind, to shift your thinking, to stop thinking the way you used to and start thinking in accordance with the fact that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But Jesus' first point of his first sermon is repent, change, think differently. Remember? And you guys know this in this church. I'm always talking about how the scripture tells us we need to change the way we think. It's not about behavior modification. We change the way we think. When we change the way we think, it changes our perspective. When our perspective changes, our desires change. And then we do what we want to do. And Jesus started with repent. Change the way you think. Is that what he continued to teach? Yeah, look at Luke 5. Turn really quickly with me to Luke 5, starting in verse 27. Did Jesus only preach, I love you. God loves you. Everything is wonderful. No, he said, repent. Luke 5, 27, this is where he calls Matthew. It says, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector called Levi. We also know him as Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And then Jesus said, don't judge people, you mean Pharisees. God is love, and I accept everyone. Did you turn to it? Is that what it says? I don't think that's what it says. No. How about this? And Jesus said, well, these sinners are merely victims of their society. And if they're just loved and accepted, they'll stop being bad people. Is that what Jesus says there? I'm a, I'm a lot off, huh? Verse 31, and Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. That's why Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners. He was telling the Pharisees, I'm hanging out with them, not you, because they're the ones who need help. They're the ones who need my kingdom. He wasn't saying, I'm, I'm hanging out with them because you guys are the powerful oppressed class and I came to, to liberate the oppressed. You guys are the oppressors and they're the oppressed and so I'm going to hang out with them. No, that's not what he said. He said, I'm going to them because they're the ones who need help. And then he said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, what? To repentance. 
He didn't say, I can't, I'm going to the sick because they're going to stay sick. He said, I'm going to the sick because they're the ones who need a physician. They're sick. They need help. They need healing. He didn't say, I'm going to go to them and just accept them in their sickness and let them continue to be sick. No, he said, I'm going to the sick because I'm a physician. I'm going to heal them. I've called them to repentance, to change the way they think, to be different, to be healed, to be restored, to walk away from their sinful ways. That's what Jesus taught. And listen to me, any pastor or any teacher who does not include repentance and healing and restoration to the sinner to bring them into a place of wholeness and healing is not preaching the word of God. That is an opinion, a lofty opinion, and an imagination that is raising itself up against the knowledge of God, and we are called to tear that down by the weapons of our warfare to take those thoughts captive to truth. Jesus did not call to leave sinners in their sin. Sin, do you remember what the wages of sin is? Death. If Jesus just came to love and accept sinners and leave them in their sin, then Jesus is cruel and Jesus is horrible because he's allowing them to continue into death. That's not Jesus. Jesus is good. Jesus loves. Jesus goes to the sick because they need a physician. He goes to sinners because they need to be set free from their sin. Katie. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yes. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus doesn't go to sinners and tell them that they need to repent because he's mean. He goes and tells them they need to repent because their sin is killing them. Your sin is killing you. My sin is killing me. He tells us to repent because he's the physician and he wants to heal us and make us whole because he's good. It's all through Acts and the New Testament. Look at Acts 2.38. Write this down and you can look it up later. Don't look it up now. Acts 2.38, Acts 3.19, Acts 17.30. The, the apostles preached a gospel of repentance. From Romans 2.4 all the way to Revelation 2.5, God instructs repentance, not just to sinners, but to his followers. God instructs repentance. The biblical gospel, the biblical good news is one of repentance, stewardship, and responsibility. Because the gospel is about loving relationship, biblical love always implies an active response. It always implies action. It's not, biblical love is not a fuzzy feeling that we carry in our hearts. Biblical love always results in action. Biblical relationship always implies responsibility. If you're going to have a successful relationship, are you going to have to do some stuff? If you're going to have a successful friendship with someone, a meaningful friendship with someone, are you going to have to do some stuff? Are you going to have to give up some stuff? If you're going to have a successful marriage, are you going to have to do some stuff? Are you going to have to sacrifice some stuff for that relationship? Absolutely. And the gospel in the scripture tells us that it's about knowing Jesus. That requires us to take on responsibility. It requires us to do some stuff and to give up some stuff. Romans 12, starting in verse 1. Look this one up. Romans 12, starting in verse 1. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do you know that that concept, the renewal of your mind, is in harmony with that word that's translated repentance? That means to change your mind? He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice in that passage, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do you remember uh, in John 4 where Jesus is talking to the woman at the well? And he says, a day is coming and is now here when you will no longer worship the Father in Jerusalem or on this mountain because the Father is looking for those who will worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. truth. Do you realize if you tie that back to this verse, it says that the being transformed by the renewal of your mind and testing that you may discern what is the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect, this is your worship. Look, it says, uh, verse 1, rather, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is what? Your spiritual worship. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Do you know what spiritual worship looks like? It doesn't mean that you get the, the Holy Ghost heebie-jeebies in the middle of a, of a worship service and you've got your hand raised. That's not spiritual worship. That is worship, and it's important. But do you know why that's important? Because it puts your mind on the things above, not on things of earth. But your spiritual worship is to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's what spiritual worship is. If you look at the concept of worship in the Old Testament, worship is never found without sacrifice. Ever. There's always something that you give to God in your worship. And we've set up these worship services that don't require anything of anybody. In fact, what we do is we go... Well, you know what? We're going to have great sound, and we're going to have a really skilled band, and we're going to have our smoke machines. So you can come, and you can come into a worship service and get stuff. Don't, please don't hear me wrong. There's nothing wrong with skillful bands. There's nothing wrong with great sound. There's nothing wrong with smoke machines. But if, if our whole purpose of putting on a worship service is to attract people because they're going to get something from it, that ain't worship, folks. Worship is where we come into God's presence and we give to Him. We don't come into His presence to get stuff back. No relationship works if only one person is contributing. Does that sound right? Am I making stuff up? No relationship will work if one person is contributing. Both people involved in the relationship have to be contributing, working on the relationship. Both people have to be contributing. Now listen, the Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit have done and continue to do their part. But we carry a responsibility... for being an active part of our relationship with Jesus. Well, God has to do everything. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. We Now listen, every contribution we make to the relationship is empowered by the grace of God. But you know, I, one of my mentors is, is named Pastor Kim Pittner, and he says this, you are, exper- you are expected to provide the energy for your own development. You are expected to provide the energy for your own development. Listen, the Holy Spirit will and must empower anything that I do to make it productive. But I still have to do. I still have to 
initiate the action, right? I'm not, it's not like I'm going to lay in a lump on the, on the couch and the Holy Spirit's going to come and inhabit me and turn me into a puppet, right? No, I have to initiate the action. And when I initiate an action that is in harmony with the will and purpose of God, the grace of God by the Holy Spirit comes and empowers me to fulfill that action, but I am the initiator. On Friday mornings, we get up and we meet at 6 o'clock, right? And we, we read the word and we journal via Skype. I have to set my alarm to get up in time to meet with y'all to get in the word. I, I don't like getting up early. That's not my favorite thing. But I have to initiate dragging my poor sorry behind out of bed on time to meet with y'all in order to get the benefit of the relationship of the body of Christ meeting together, in order to get the benefit of the relationship, uh, the benefit of being in the word, I have to initiate. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that I am exempted from responsibility. I'm not. People in our society, y'all, I want you to hear me, church, these people right here. And if you guys out there are listening to, that's great. <laughs> Listen, people in Albuquerque, all around us, are going to hell because they have embraced a lofty opinion and imagination, a lie that they are not responsible for their choices. And if we don't preach repentance, and if we don't preach personal responsibility, even more importantly, if we don't live repentance and live responsibility, kingdom responsibility, how will they know any different? If we don't take the divine weapons that we have and declare warfare on these lofty opinions and imaginations that are coming out through progressive and socialist ideology that's being taught in our country, how will they know any different? If Jesus had just gone out and said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, everyone would have gone, yay, I feel so happy. And never changed, never turned to go to the physician to be healed. And you know what? A huge part of the quote-unquote gospel that's being preached in America right now is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yay! Jesus taught, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What he was saying is the kingdom of heaven is here. Turn away from your old ways and come into the kingdom. Jesus just doesn't announce the kingdom. He invites you to come into it. But in order to come into the kingdom, you have to turn away from the old kingdom. If we don't live repentance and stewardship and responsibility no one around us in our culture will understand that there's more to it than just Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And they will go into hell. And we will bear some of the responsibility of that. Honestly, we will. In our culture, the name of Jesus has lost all its influence. Nobody in our culture thinks Jesus is an important person. Nobody in our culture thinks that Jesus has answers to life's problems. Jesus is a cuss word. He has no importance whatsoever. 
In our culture, the gospel has no influence in our culture. Do you know why? Because, by and large, the American church has not been preaching the gospel. We have not been living sacrifices. We have not been engaging in our spiritual worship. We have been brainwashed by this ideology. We've been brainwashed not to change our thinking, not to be different, not to stand out, not to muddy the waters. Not to stir the pot. God loves everybody. And that's a really appealing idea. Why? Because then I don't have to do anything. I can go into a worship service to get, not to give. And I can, in my own mind and heart, I can go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yay! And it doesn't require anything of me. It's really tempting. It's nice. It's comfortable. It's not the gospel of Jesus. The church has turned to marketing ploys to fill its seats and to, quote, win converts. Where does the Bible say that converts are a prize that we're supposed to go out and win, that it's a competition? Come to Jesus and your life will be wonderful. And you can come to our church and get the warm fuzzies every Sunday. That is not how it works. That is not how it works. You are absolutely right, Peter. Come to Jesus because you are a lost sinner and you are dying and you are sick in your heart and your mind and your body. And Jesus wants to heal you because he's the good physician. John? Jesus himself said the world has hated me and they're going to hate you too. Yep. But you know what? We've tried to win the world over. Not muddy the waters, not stir the pot. See, world, I'm just like you. I'm friendly. That doesn't mean we, that we're ugly to the world. What it means is that we stand up and say, you know what? I'm a mess. I need Jesus. And I don't care if the people in my workplace know that I'm a mess. And that my answer is Jesus. I'm okay with them knowing that I don't have it all together. I'm okay with them knowing that I need a physician. I'm okay with that. So we've preached this gospel of comfort and avoided confrontation. We've turned church into a marketing ploys to win converts. But in the end, we inoculate people to the gospel so that they never repent. Do you know how they inoculate you for a disease? They give you a little bit of the disease so that your body builds up a resistance to it. And when we have preached a half gospel... We've given them just enough of the gospel that they think they're okay and they never change their thinking. We give them just enough of the gospel that they think they have an imagination in their brain. I can still live my life whatever way I want and get to heaven. Mm -hmm. And guys, people are going to hell in droves because we have not told them that Jesus isn't just a nice guy. He's not a guru. Jesus is a physician coming for sick and dying people. And we are those sick and dying people. Katie? Katie? Right. That Jesus initiated the relationship. And he initiated the sacrifice. Yes. Matthew 5, starting in verse 10. We try and make things nice and easy so we don't ruffle any feathers, 
so it can be comfortable for us. But what did Jesus say? In Matthew 5, verse 10, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Do you know what's happening in America right now? Christians are just tossed out and trampled under the feet of the people around them. Our message is trampled under, we're tossed out. You know why? Because we've lost our saltiness. Well, really what that's talking about is it's talking about the rock that salt is encased in. I was just being sarcastic yeah. that we're too bitter and nobody wants Right, and I'm going with that. Salt would be handed out, and it wasn't purified. It didn't come in nice bags like we had it. It was actually in the rock, and you would have to break it apart, and you break the rock out and keep the salt. Unfortunately... What this is talking about, when Jesus says it's lost its saltiness, it means that rock is all that's left. The salt is gone. And unfortunately, what the church in America has done is we've been the rock that nobody wants. We've been the rock that has no value. We've been angry and yelling, and we've been judging them. Uh, in our Bible reading today, we were reading uh, where Paul talks about how you don't judge people outside the body. That's God's job. You only judge people inside the body of Christ. That's our job. And what we've done is we've judged people outside the body of Christ and condemned them for their sin, and that's not our job. Our job is to come to them and say, yeah, you're stuck in sin just like I was. And Jesus is here to break you out of that. I believe that right now, guys, and again, I'm talking to us in this room, and anybody online, you're just hearing what I'm saying to my family. I believe that right now in our culture, there's a winnowing happening. Right now, God is separating out the wheat from the weeds. He's separating the good fish from the bad fish. Here in this church, in Westside Foursquare Church, we will not take the easy way. Yeah. Here in Westside Foursquare Church, we will not abandon the lost in the world to ignorance. We are not going to turn around and recycle the progressive socialist idea of Jesus and hand out rock with no salt where there's no hope. We're not going to do that. What we are going to do is we're going to start by living a life of repentance, by living a life of spiritual worship, by making our bodies a sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, by repenting, having our minds transformed. That's what we are going to do. We will be salt and light to the city of Albuquerque. We will be salt and light to our co-workers. We will be salt and light to the people that we interact with at Walmart or on the street or anywhere else with our neighbors. We will be salt and light. We will live a life that exemplifies people who are letting Jesus change them. We will live a life of repentance, stewardship, and responsibility. We are going to follow Jesus. We're going to seek relationship the healing and the wholeness that Jesus' blood purchased for us. We're going to choose to turn our minds away from sin and away from the lofty opinions and the, the deceptions and the thoughts that raise themselves, the imaginations that raise themselves against the knowledge of God. We're going to take every thought captive. We're going to throw out those thoughts and we're going to hold on to the thoughts that Scripture gives us and the truth that Scripture gives us. 
We will be salt and light in a dark world. And guys, as your pastor, Peter, as your pastor, every one of you as your pastor, I commit to you that I will preach the whole gospel. Yes. That we repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We turn away from old ways and we become transformed, conformed into the likeness of Jesus. But not only will I teach it, I commit that I'll live it with you too. Because a pastor is just another sheep that has a bell around his neck. That's all he is. And he says, yeah, follow me as I follow Christ, like Paul did. Will you guys commit to follow that with me? Can we be a body of believers that, are, that is committed to the full gospel of Jesus? That we will take up our cross daily and follow him. That we won't come together to get stuff. When we come together to worship, it's, it's to worship him, to give to him. And we will encourage each, we will get stuff, we will provide for each other. But we provide for each other so that we can all continue walking in Jesus' footsteps. So, Lord, we at Westside Foursquare Church commit ourselves to you. We put ourselves on the altar. We will be like Jesus. We will follow him and be, and be a sacrifice to you, of worship to you, Lord, in what we say, in what we do, but God, first of all, in what we think. Would you lead us on this path? We turn away from the things of the world. We turn away from the lofty opinions and imaginations that raise themselves up against the knowledge of you. We will take every thought captive to you, Jesus. We want to be your people. We want to be salt and light in, a, in, in the world around us. Do that in us first, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, for those of you who are online, thanks for putting up with me while we all talk together here in this room. Um, if you found this challenging or if you found this inspiring, uh, please feel free to share it. Hit like, subscribe, whatever, blah, 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 all the YouTube stuff. I'm not worried about that. I'm just worried that we're teaching the truth. Um, and if you need encouragement, please message us. Um, we would love to uh, stand with you as you follow Jesus. Listen, we believe in you. We believe in Jesus in you, and we'll see you again next week.